ready to stop spinning your wheels and start moving your business forward, you're in the right place. On each episode of Accelerate to Achieve, we'll discuss a crucial step in the journey, offering tips and advice that you can apply immediately within your own company. From financial management to customer success to digital transformation, we'll cover it all while providing leadership lessons from top industry insiders. In just 15 minutes, you'll be inspired to build momentum through action and achieve incredible results. Welcome to Accelerate to Achieve, the podcast that moves you from question to answer and idea to execution. Hello, and welcome back to the latest edition of the Accelerate to Achieve podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Walter, the founder of Perils Advisor. We've all heard you can't manage what you don't measure. Now, this all makes sense until you have to turn it into reality. Now, it's due to a wide assortment of things ranging from just getting a clear picture of it all to figuring out what it means. And you know what? Throw into the fact you don't have enough time to do it all. It just It's hard to get your head around it. We're going to be evaluating this today further with our guest. And I am so excited to be joined by Barb Danini. She is the president of Boxplot Analytics, a statistical consulting firm that helps businesses make accurate, data-driven decisions. Now, personally, she's actually a data scientist, so you know I'm going to feel really stupid on the call today, but um, I won't let anybody see me blush. And she's going to impress us with her years of industry experience, as well as just being a statistician who's analyzed data sets from government, corporate, nonprofit organizations, you know, throughout the country. Barb, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Ryan. So, you know, I know it's a complex topic, and, and for some of us, we hear the word data and we think, oh, no, what am I in for? So could you help us draw a bit of picture and understand maybe what's meant by data and for some of us, even, you know, we hear these things like reports and analytics, like, what does that all mean? Yeah, absolutely. It can be really overwhelming. Um, people think of data, some, or other people sometimes this big spreadsheets and table numbers that, again, can quite typically how that all kind of comes together is you've got the data, right? And it is typically, not always, but typically in that kind of tabular table looking format stored away somewhere. Talk more about to later. Um, and then you do your analysis. The analytics typically refers to together, aggregate the algorithms. And then that is what goes into the report at the end. Not every project ends in a report, but most of them, I would say, have some report of some type, even if it's not, you know, a traditional type of report. Things that you did to analyze the data are being presented to the stakeholder. Great. Thank you very much for that. And I, you know what? I'd love to touch on one item you talked about. Um, because I think it's it's really interesting, and you know, briefly, uh, people may not understand why sort of where data resides, maybe how it's structured. And again, this is getting kind of deep into the weeds for folks. Why it matters? Do you maybe have examples or ways we can look at this to understand why it becomes such a problem at times? Yeah, this is a great question, and I talk about this a lot because you're right. People aren't really sure of where it is, and it's a little bit important, you know, to know where it is, or at least to kind of have a high level understanding of where it's all coming from. So typically for most organizations, especially as they get a little bit larger, like maybe organizations of like one to five employees, perhaps you're still kind of collecting information in Excel sheets or by hand, or there might be some data kind of trapped away in some apps that you use, but that's it. Once you get to be a larger organization, 
there is now data that's being stored usually in various applications that you're using. So for example, most organizations have some kind of accounting software, right? Like QuickBooks or Zoho or something like that. That's collecting a whole bunch of data as you use that software that you can pull and get really valuable insights out of. Human resources, another great example. There's so many HR um, apps now that HR managers, HR departments are using great, great data coming from there. Like, you know, what your turnover is and um, the diversity in your organization. Uh, CRMs are another great example, point of sale systems. So all of these systems that businesses typically and, and nonprofits also, and even government agencies use, they're all storing data. So that's the most common place nowadays that organizations have data. There's other places that you might get data from. Like we pull sometimes government data sources in for private organizations to use. Um, sometimes people will hand enter data. Data can come from surveys. So it can come from all over the place, but I would say those applications are probably the primary source. But then what I was kind of getting at earlier is you're really best practice. You're supposed to store that data in a centralized location. You don't want it all over the place, right? You don't want one thing in an HR platform, another bit of data in a financial platform. And then you can't, because sometimes you want to combine them and, and put them together. So that's when an organization gets large enough, that's when they start to put it in typically a SQL database. Again, not everyone will use a, a SQL database, but it's just a kind of an organizational storage system that sits in the cloud and stores all your data. You can actually picture it like, um, remember those old CPUs, Ryan, like in the, you know, think picture big desktop computers and you have the big box? Oh, absolutely. No, I can uh, imagine it. And, um, you know, someone who kind of was all impressed by relational databases, um, coming coming to bear and, and seeing how, you know, for me, uh, it looks like a whole bunch of just like sort of Excel spreadsheets back to back to back. Um, plus what you're talking about. I, um, I recall the iterations there. So absolutely kind of burned, burned well in my head. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. So you've got these tables and databases that basically sit in one of these boxes and the box could be on your company's physical location or most people nowadays buy space on Google and Amazon's boxes or servers. Um, so that's really like kind of the, the best practice gold standard is to get all the data together into one big database that just sits on a server somewhere and is ready for you. know, it's funny you mentioned the um, CRM side of thing. And for those who may not know, it's relationship management often used by marketing and sales teams as ways to prospect and as well as maintain the customer relationship. And I always think back to how sometimes you know, we often complain organizations are siloed, but almost how data can be this magnifying glass of that. And anybody who's ever kind of dealt with those systems probably has lived with the fact that you have 37 iterations of the same customer in there, their names spelled different ways with a slightly different address or five or nine digit zip code. Um, so it's, it's interesting as well, when you talk about where everything is, that also kind of the the quality of the data, the consistency of the data, let alone where it's sitting, um, all of these factors really come into play here. Yep. So, you know, I think that kind of explains probably why it's really hard for folks then. There's a lot, right? We're, we're kind of sitting here. If you imagine we've got data coming from everywhere, how do we start measuring? How do we begin making sense of this all? Where do people begin? Because I think... You know, this seems like one of those 
yeah, you eat an elephant one spoonful at a time, but like, where do I start on the elephant? Yeah. Um, well, once you've got the data ideally in one place and you don't have to, but let's pretend that, you know, we went with the, the best practice and got it all together. Then you start pulling that data from the database or Cesar, and you need to usually at that point, get it into some kind of analytics program. There are so many options. I mean, almost everyone is familiar with Microsoft Excel. Of course, Excel is an analytics program. And most people have that just by way of having a, a Microsoft subscription of some sort. Um, Excel is great, but it has limitations. Usually, again, once companies get larger, they start to hit a wall with Excel, if you will. Um, literally, in the sense of the size of the data, Excel does have a limit of 1,048,000 some records. So if you have a data set that's larger than that, well, you're already too big for Excel. And then sometimes people will just hit limitations in terms of what Excel can do. But that would be the starting point, I would say for sure. If you're a brand new company just starting to think about this, you're really small, Excel is a good place to start. It's cheap, it does a lot, um, it's good. For organizations that want to kind of take it to the next step, there's more comprehensive business intelligence tools like Tableau and Power BI. People have probably heard of these where they can do much more than Excel, but they're still what people call point and click programs. You don't have to know any coding to use Tableau or Power BI. I'm not going to say they're necessarily easy to learn, but much easier than a coding language. And you can kind of get in there with you know, some training, but relatively minimal training and go through and start making charts and calculations and whatnot. And po possibly the big feature in those that, that stands apart from Excel is advanced mapping, really fantastic maps that you can make in Tableau and Power BI. And then if you want to go even further than that, because believe it or not, you will also eventually hit a wall with Tableau and Power BI, depending on what you're trying to do. If you have a more complicated problem, the next step after that would be a coding language like Python or R. Um, I've worked with all of these. We work with them all regularly, you know, depending on who we're working with and what they want. And my preference does actually tend to wind up being Python because it is so flexible. You can do pretty much anything you can imagine in Python. But it is, you know, for, for anyone that's interested in going that route, it is a high learning curve. I mean, it, it takes sometimes several years to get fully proficient with Python, but very powerful and free, totally free. So you kind of talked about some of the ways people start um, with tools and, and, and how they begin working with it. Um, what about maybe mistakes, misconceptions you see them have either, you know, causing them to never get started because they're just frozen or perhaps you know, leading them down the wrong path. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Um, and it, it's a big problem that we, we get a lot of calls for this, absolutely. Um, there's so many places, unfortunately, I hate to be a, a downer, but so many places to go wrong with data analytics and, and dealing with numbers. Um, I do have a couple examples that, that I always use when I kind of talk about this, fun examples. But let me start with just a couple of um couple of things that I see maybe most commonly too that are not really examples, just kind of talking through them. Uh, there's a famous, relatively famous interview question. How many piano tuners are there in Chicago? And the person being interviewed is supposed to kind of use some kind of you know, logic or um, estimation to guess at this number in an educated way, not just guess. And it might seem like a ridiculous question, but 
there's actually a lot of value behind that because one of the biggest mistakes that I see people make is they think that because they're getting a number in Excel or Tableau or whatever, it's the right number. Not necessarily at all, right? You know, Excel is not guaranteed to give you a, a correct answer just because it didn't throw an error doesn't mean that what you're getting is right. So one of the best things that you can do before you settle on an answer or even get do a calculation to try to get an answer is take a guess as to what you think that number should be based on logic. So for the piano tuner question, for example, you're supposed to kind of go through a, a sequence of thought processes where it's like, okay, how many people are there in Chicago? And I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but let's say it's like 2 million and Maybe you assume there's families of two to four people. So you divide by two and there's how many of them have a piano and how many of them, how many pianos can a tuner to, you know, you kind of go through this process where you break it down and it doesn't always have to be that complicated. Like sometimes it's as easy as saying, am I expecting a number in the hundreds, in the thousands, in the millions? And if you don't get an answer in that bound, then you know, okay, something is wrong. I'm, this number is not correct. Something went wrong. But that's one of the, the hardest and most frustrating things I see people encounter is they either just don't notice that the number is wrong until somebody else does, or they they notice it's wrong, they're not sure what went wrong, um, and it, it's a challenge to kind of fix it. So that's, that's one of the big pitfalls I think that people encounter. Um, another one is surveys. Surveys are actually kind of tough to write. I've taken a whole course in survey development, and we had somebody once where, um, I, I can't give the exact question, but I can give a a little bit of a modified version, they asked a question like, do you have access to or knowledge of our order site? Well, the problem with that question is it's really two questions, right? Do you have access to it versus do you have knowledge of it? And those are two different things and they would be solved in two different ways. Access is different than, than the knowledge. So once we got the survey back, and I, I didn't write the survey, they had contracted with us later to take a look at it. They're like, uh-oh, and they think they realized what happened. They're like, can you fix it at this point? I'm like, no, it's too late. You know, once the question goes out, now we don't know if somebody answered no, was it access or knowledge that was the problem? So yeah, crafting surveys is another big one. Um, oh, misleading visualizations. That's a huge one. And it's a shame it's a podcast because that's a really great one to show, uh, show visuals for. I, I talk about this all the time with visuals, but um, there's so many ways that you could make a chart that, technically everything in there correct, but the way it's displayed can mislead people to the point of making a wrong decision or conclusion based on the chart. Putting things on different scales, for example, choosing charts that have too much information in them or on, showing things in multiple dimensions that are really only supposed to be shown in one dimension. There's a lot of ways that, that charts can get messed up as well. So those are only a couple examples. I mean, there's, there's a lot because data analytics is tough. And sometimes the joke is, how many answers are there to a given problem is how many statisticians are in the room. <laughs> um, but those are, I would say those are some common. I think the answer is usually with statisticians in a room, it's how many aren't looking at their shoes. But um, <laughs> that's a massive joke we can share amongst ourselves. So um, this has been incredible. And I, I want to thank you to start. And as we kind of wrap up here and I kind of ask you this, this last item, um, I think is really relevant to us. And I'd be interested in if there's any way to do things and, and maybe how you've seen it done or advice you have for folks, you know, there's so much information out there. Um, I think naturally we probably can see how maybe financial information and customer information goes together and can be used. But what about all this other new stuff? Like we've got these social things like likes and referrals and, you know, hearts and everything else. Uh, you know, 
can this information come together? Does it come together? How do people do it? Is there value to it? Be interested, you know, in your thoughts or any advice to folks around that and whether, you know, um, that's something we also need to be thinking about as kind of the set of data that we're collecting expands. Yeah, there's so much information available. Data is everything. They say it's the world's most valuable resource now above to be oil. And now it's data. Um, but yeah, there's, in my opinion, you can't collect too much and there's usually value in almost all of it. <laughs> um, it's all very valuable. And yeah, you can combine those sources like you were saying. I mean, it's social media can be combined with financial metrics to kind of try to figure out things like, was this worth it? How much certain types of campaigns work better than other in the amount? HR can be combined with financial metrics to get like turnover cost to lose an employee. Um, combining things with the financial metrics is, as you can tell, a pretty common thing. But you can combine things across different platforms too. Like think about like marketing for a job and, you know, how marketing data would then kind of cross with HR data and what's the most effective way to get candidates at large company postings there. So yeah, combining the sources is great. Collecting all that information. I mean, the social media platforms, even the smallest companies, if they have a Facebook page or a Twitter account, there's so much data behind that that they could be pulling. Like you said, the likes, the shares, the and it's so valuable. When do people share your, what time of day is it? Because that's when you want to be posting the most, right? Or what is the trend over time? Are you losing followers, winning followers, going wrong? It's all in there. And, it, and it's usually free to access. The, the data, like, you know, these social media companies don't charge you to get your own data. Really good opportunity. Well, thank you. And I think, you know, add on to that, and it's, we could probably do a whole podcast on this, you know, all the, the unstructured data. And for folks, you know, on the call, that stuff that's not as simple to understand, like a number or a like, which is, you know, yes or no. It's, you know, can you tell sentiment from the, you know, the content written by someone and what can we pull from that so if you start having that layer in i mean this i mean this obviously is something that has seen and won't see and end <laughs> anytime soon and they'll just keep expanding exactly yep if you can pull sentiment from things you can pull common words yep it, it goes on forever yeah well thank you so much and i really appreciate you kind of spending the time to try to help take the veil away from our eyes on some of this stuff that might seem, you know, more complicated than maybe it truly is and, you know, simplifying it for us. So we're able to, you know, bring it to reality and, uh, you know, put it into our own world. Great. Thanks again for having me. I appreciate it. The fear of the unknown as well as uncertainty drives many to avoid things they just don't understand. The problems though are never really as big or scary as we think. And if we're willing to start the journey not knowing the entire route, we'll often find ourselves staring back wondering what had us so worried in the first place. Thank you for listening today. I look forward to joining you on the next episode. Until then, I'm Ryan Walter. And remember that solving your biggest business problem when you decide to accelerate your approach and achieve more. At Parallels Advisory, our focus is your business's future. Having the right insight, experience, and perspective makes all the difference when tackling far-reaching issues within your company. We are here to simplify the steps, unlock your potential, and move you forward making your vision a reality. We've helped startups achieve massive growth, mid-sized businesses navigate digital transformation, and enterprises embrace innovation. Wondering how to jumpstart your business and move it forward? Contact us to discuss your audacious goals during a complimentary consultation. Thank you for listening to this episode of Accelerate to Achieve. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. 
Got a question, feedback on the program, or interested in being a guest? Simply go to peril.co forward slash a2a-podcast and send us a message. To learn more about our work or to book a consultation, visit us at peril.co forward slash contact. Until next time, remember that solving your biggest business problems begin when you decide to accelerate your approach and achieve more.